0: A math teacher. Is a math teacher the same thing as a farmer? No. no. All right, Sophie, what does your dad do? Preaches. What? Preaches. Preaches. Is that the same thing as a device guy? Okay, so so for most of us, right, our dads probably do different things than our grandpa did, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, today we're going to read about Jesus in the Bible, and he's going to talk to people in his hometown and people in his hometown are going to have a problem with the things that Jesus does and the things that Jesus say because Jesus' dad is a carpenter. And what that meant in their culture was that Jesus was supposed to be a carpenter too. Jesus wasn't supposed to be somebody who taught about the Bible or taught about the law or did the miraculous things that he did. They thought he's only qualified to be a carpenter. And so, kids, today I would encourage you to go home and ask your parents About why our culture is a little different from their culture, but more importantly, ask them about why it is good for us that Jesus isn't just a carpenter, why it's important for us that He's more than a carpenter, that He is qualified to be who He is and and that He came to do what He came to do. So ask them more about who Jesus is and what they learn about Him from our passage this morning. Um, For everybody else, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. We're going to read verses 14 through 30 together this morning. Again, that's Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 14 through 30. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word, uh, and specifically uh, the gospel of Luke, that you sent your spirit to inspire Luke to write down this account of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. God, we thank you that we get to learn about Jesus' ministry and the things that he He said and did while he was on this earth. We get to learn about what he did in Nazareth and his hometown and how the people there responded to him. God, and I pray today that as we, we look at your word together, that you would send your spirit to, to help us to understand it um, and to help us to apply it to our lives. That we We wouldn't just see how the people of Nazareth responded to Jesus, but that you would send your spirit and cause us to respond to Jesus in this text. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So. In this passage, we, we pick up from where we left off last week. Last week, we left off with Jesus' temptation. He's in the, in the power of the Spirit. He's led out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and Jesus beats the devil. He, he overcomes the temptation. He doesn't give in, and Luke tells us now that he, he returns back to Galilee. So he was down uh, further south in Israel around the Jordan. Now he comes in the power of the Spirit up into Galilee, and Luke kind of gives us this quick summary of what his ministry was like. Um, but I think the, the first thing we should see here is that he returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descends upon him, and then at his, uh, in his temptation, he's led by the Spirit. He's full of the Spirit as he goes out into the wilderness, and now as he starts his ministry, Luke is telling us that he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Luke is making sure we understand that all of Jesus' time on the earth, all of his earthly ministry, he is empowered and anointed by the Spirit to do what God has called him to do. It's not a a temporary thing it's not a fleeting thing he's got the spirit's empowerment throughout this whole time and because of who he is and because of what he's doing Luke tells us that there's a report that goes out throughout all the surrounding regions about him and what he's done and then we're going to get some examples as we go through the gospel of Luke about what he did in those places. Verse 15 tells us that he taught in their synagogues. That's one of the things that he did during his ministry. And specifically, he says he taught in in their synagogues. And this is kind of one of the clues that we have as to who Luke is as an author and who Theophilus is as his Audience as his reader. They're, they're not Jews, they're Gentiles, right? They say their synagogues. If if Luke was a Jew and he's writing, he would have said our synagogues. And if he was writing to a Jew, he would have said your synagogues. But instead he says, their synagogues to say, hey, we're not, we're not in this group. We're in a different group. They're Gentiles. Um, but Jesus taught in the synagogues. And the last part of verse 15 is what's most interesting about these first two verses, though. It says that he was, Jesus, being glorified by all. This word glorified is a word that is almost always restricted just to God. It's how people respond to who he is. It's how they respond in praise and glory to him. And so now this word is being applied not just to God, but to Jesus, who we know is God, right? He is receiving the kind of response that God receives because he is God's son. He's God on the earth among his people, and they are responding as such. The next thing that happens in our passage is Jesus goes to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. This is his his hometown, and Luke says, as was his custom, as he lived his life, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. This is another glimpse we get into what we talked about a few weeks ago about Galatians, where it talks about Jesus being born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law. Jesus goes to the Sabbath because he's doing the kind of things that Jews did on the Sabbath. So he goes to the Sabbath and he stands up to read. During the synagogue service, they typically had a, uh, they, they sang a song and then they would read from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Then there would be this prayer of blessing. Then there would be an a reading from the law, a reading from the prophets, somebody would teach on one of those, and then there would be a kind of closing benediction. And so really, it's, it's not that different from what we do on Sundays. It's, it's a little more reading and teaching, a little less singing, but they're doing similar kinds of things. And so Jesus here, Luke tells us, is going to read from the prophet Isaiah. So he does that second reading in the service, and he does some teaching on it. And it says that the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolls the scroll, he finds the place where it was written. So this tells us that this passage that Jesus is about to read isn't random. It's not by chance. He didn't just, you know, he wasn't handed a scroll that was already open to a specific place. He opens the scroll, he finds the place, he reads this section intentionally because of the message that he wants to communicate with him. And the part of the passage, or the part of Isaiah he reads comes from Isaiah 61. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus is reading from Isaiah 61, which is one of the servant songs that we saw as we went through the book of Isaiah. The servant of God is this person that comes in to play in the second half of Isaiah. He's the promised Messiah. He's the one who God is going to use to save and redeem his people. And so Jesus, as he's handed the scroll of the book of Isaiah, opens up to this place, reads this passage, and is going to say, this is about me. So the first question that we should ask when we we see this is, you know, he talks about the poor and the blind, and the captives, is are these people literally these things, or is he speaking metaphorically? Like, is God actually going to help the poor, the economically poor, or is he going to help the spiritually poor? Is he going to heal those who are physically blind, or is he going to heal those who are spiritually blind? Is he going to free those who are are physically actually enslaved, or just those who are spiritually enslaved? And I think the answer to all of those questions is yes, right? It's both. Jesus is going to heal the blind, but he's also going to give sight to those who, who can't see spiritually. He's going to open our eyes so that we can see him for who he really is. He's going to free captives, but he's also going to free those who are enslaved to sin, death, and Satan. And so it's, it's a both and. It's a literal and a metaphorical thing that he is going to do. He's going to bring salvation to all. He's going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Luke tells us that after he reads, uh, everybody in the synagogue, all their eyes are fixed on him. They're all hanging on his next word. They want to know what he's going to say about this passage. And he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, the end. And probably, you know, the first like 50 to 100 times I read this passage, like in my mind as I I was picturing the event and thinking about what happened, I always just kind of assumed that this was just like a, a mic drop moment for Jesus, right? He just reads this passage, says this cryptic thing, and then it's just like, I'm out, and leaves. But Luke says in verse 21, he began to say to them, and then gives this statement, So the reality is that Jesus probably said more than we have here. What we have is like the gist. We have the summary. He talked about this passage. So it's not just him, you know, throwing out a cryptic statement and being done and leaving. He, he taught more about who he was and what he came. But the point is what Luke tells us right here. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And the emphasis in this sentence is on the word today. He's stressing the fact that because of him reading this passage, because of him being there in the synagogue, because of him being present on the earth, that something has changed. This passage is different today because jesus is there reading it the messianic age has dawned in christ god's kingdom has come the year of the lord's favor has started he has changed the world because he is in the world to save and redeem god's people the messiah has come in jesus that is what he's communicating to god's people by reading this passage in the synagogue and the people respond in two ways to what jesus says The first one is in verse 22 at the beginning. It says, And all, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that are coming from his mouth. So the first response is everybody is amazed at what he says. Everybody is amazed at his teaching, at his reading of the law, at what he's claiming, of who he is. Uh, they, They marvel at the gracious words that are coming from his mouth. That's the first response. The second response comes in the second half of the verse. And they said... Is not this Joseph's son? And here, this could be be positive, this could be a good thing, like, hey, that's, that's Joseph's son. Or it could be negative, it could be, wait, isn't that Joseph's son? And Mark helps us understand which one it is. The Gospel of Mark here says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And... They took offense at him. So the people in Mark, in this account in Mark, they take offense at Jesus because he is the carpenter, the son of Mary. He's he's this guy we know, and they they take offense at that. Um, Matthew tells us something a little different. I think we should have a slide here that has all three. So Luke says, is not this Joseph's son? Mark says, is not this the carpenter? Matthew says, is not this the carpenter's son? And the question that we probably have is, well, well which one is it, right? Is, is, it, is he Joseph's son? Is he the carpenter? Is he the carpenter's son? But the reality is, is that all three of these are saying the same exact thing. Because in this culture, like we talked about with the kids, you did whatever your dad did. If your dad was a carpenter, you were a carpenter. That was the only thing that you were qualified to do in society. And so when they say, is... He Joseph's son. They're saying, "Is he the carpenter's son?" And because his dad is a carpenter, he's also a carpenter. All of the gospels are saying the same thing. And the reason why the people are asking this question and the reason why the people are taking offense at Jesus because he's Joseph's son, because he's the carpenter's son, because he's a carpenter is because what they're saying is this guy is just a carpenter. His dad is just a carpenter. He can't possibly be qualified to make the kind of claims that he's claiming about the scriptures. He's not the Messiah. He's just a carpenter. And they take offense at him. So Jesus responds to this negativity in verse 23. He said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. They're essentially saying, Prove that you are who you say you are by doing these works. They're saying, Do what you did in Capernaum here. And we're going to find out next week the things that he did at Capernaum but here we're, we're in Nazareth still. So Jesus responds further and says, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, and he's going to give him two examples from the scripture that we read earlier. The first one is Elijah. And what he says is that during the time of Elijah, there was a famine. God had poured out judgment on the people for their rejection of him. And so there was a famine across all the land. And uh, there, were, there were widows All throughout Israel. But God didn't send Elijah to them because they had rejected God and his prophets. So God sent Elijah to Zarephath, which was in between Tyre and Sidon, outside of Israel. He sent his prophet not to the people of Israel, not to the widows of Israel, but to a widow that was a Gentile to minister to her. Same with Elisha. During the time of Elisha, there were lepers throughout Israel, but God didn't use him to heal any of the Israelite lepers. He used him to heal Naaman the Syrian. And Jesus' point to the people is that they don't have exclusive claim on him as an Israelite or as someone from Nazareth. If they reject him, like Elijah and Elisha, he's going to go elsewhere. And like Elisha and Elisha, he's going to be received somewhere else if he's rejected at home. So he's telling them, like, you, you don't have any claim on me. I'm going to go somewhere else if you reject me." The people pick up on what he's saying. And Luke tells in verse 29, or 28, "When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Now remember, these are the same exact people, six verses earlier who all spoke well at him and marvel at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Now, all in the synagogue are filled with wrath and they rise up, they drive him out of the town, they bring him to the brow, brow of a hill because they're going to throw him off to kill him. But Jesus passes through their midst and goes away. His time hasn't come yet. Later, in Luke's gospel, he's going to be killed by the people that reject him. But now he just passes through their midst so they can go on about his ministry because his time hasn't yet come. The question that we should ask, right, is, is how, how should we respond to this? Uh, I think the first thing that we should notice about this passage is that the reason why the people respond to Jesus the way that they do, the reason why they reject him is not because they don't believe what he says about himself, right? They believe that he can do the miraculous things that he does, right? They want him to do those things. They're saying like, we believe that you did what you did at Capernaum, but do it here. And so they're rejecting Jesus, not because they don't believe who he is, but because he won't do what they want him to do. They're rejecting him because they, they can't command him. They can't boss him around. They can't use him towards their own ends. So I think that when we see a passage like this of, of Jesus coming before people, him talking about who he is, him uh, them knowing what he has done, and then the people rejecting him, is a, we should recognize that all of us are called to respond to Jesus in a way similar to these people respond to Jesus. We're not called to respond like they respond, but we're called to respond to him. Um, and the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to be someone who receives him, or are we going to be somebody who rejects him? And so if you're here this morning, you're somebody who's never trusted in Christ for salvation, I would encourage you not to respond to Jesus like the people in this passage respond to Jesus, right? He is not who he is so that we can order him around and tell him what to do. He was sent with a purpose, And right now, if you haven't trusted in him, you are captive. You are blind. You are spiritually poor. And you need him to bring you out of those things. And the only way we get moved from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son is through faith in him. And so I would encourage you to trust in Christ. And if you don't know what that means or what that looks like or how to do that, I would encourage you to talk to somebody about that before you leave today. Talk to me, talk to someone around you. Ask them what it means to trust in Jesus. If you're here today and you have trusted in Jesus, right, we might look at this passage and say, well, you know, like we, we obviously didn't respond like they responded. Um, but the reality is, is that we respond to Jesus all the time, not just once and for all, for all but, but daily throughout our lives and I think similar to the people of Nazareth there are times in our lives where we reject Jesus not because we don't believe who he is but because he won't do what we want him to do maybe there's something in our life and we think if, if God would just change this for me you know then I would do what he wants me to do But the reality is that God doesn't serve us. We serve God. God doesn't do what we want him to do. We're called to do what he wants us to do. And so it's my hope that the Spirit would use this passage this week to to cause us and encourage us and challenge us throughout this week to respond in our lives by not rejecting Jesus when he calls us to do something that we don't want him to do, that we don't want to do. But instead, we would, in faith, walk in obedience. Uh, Because trusting in Jesus. It's not just about faith. It's about faith and obedience, working together. It's about us believing that he is who he says he is and that he's done what he said he has done, but it's also about us doing what he tells us to do and responding to him in obedience. Our obedience doesn't save us, but it's the right response to his salvation of us. So let's pray, and then Daniel is going to come and lead us in the Lord's Supper this morning. Father, we thank you that you sent your son into the world. Even though you knew that he would be rejected by people like he is at Nazareth. Even though you knew that ultimately he would be killed because of who he is. Jesus, we thank you that you allowed yourself to die in our place. To bear the penalty that we should have paid. That you forgive us even of our rejection of you. I pray that as we go throughout this week. That you would use your word to, to push us towards faith and obedience. That we wouldn't try to, to force you to do what we want you to do. But that you would use your spirit to cause us to do what you desire of us. Pray that you would help us to walk in obedience. And and like Galilee, that, that Hannibal would become a place where The whole region is filled with the news of who you are and what you've done. Pray that as we continue in this service that we would respond rightly and that we would glorify you for who you are and what you've done because you alone are worthy to be glorified by us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.